Hello everyone to our third podcast about 12 plus 1 wisdom fires. And uh, yeah, today's topic is traffic jams. We had a beautiful traffic jam last week. It was hilarious. Um, it was fabulous. It was infuriating. It was a complete parking lot on the A4. So, and it's happening now again every morning. Uh, during the Corona lockdown, we saw that there was a real easing happening. People were staying more at home and suddenly there were no announcements about traffic jams anymore. But it seems like we are really back to normal, quote unquote normal. And this is happening despite the massive energy crisis that we are facing. Also, at the moment, COP27 is going on. There's a big talk happening every day, and countries talk about how they miss every single one of their climate change mitigation targets. So, seems like we are really addicted to fuel and the lifestyle around it. How come? How come? We can't change it. How come that despite the fact that we know it's really bad for not only us, but the planet and everyone around, that we are so addicted to it? Is the question, are we so addicted to it? Or is the question, who's going to start with it? Because when you ask this question, I feel the urge myself to do the things I can do just as an individual or in my lifestyle. And I also see that some parts I find really difficult because they are really comfortable. So that's a thing what I not what's not easy to give up sometimes because it feels so normal or it feels but at the same time when I look around and I see like the big players uh, with they have a lot of impact. And I'm wondering what would their next step be? And who are the big players in your eyes? Now, there are some big energy um, eaters, <laughs> I would call them. Uh, when you look at the very big companies who have a major part using of the energy we have... Um, then I find it difficult when I put my um, my heater a little bit lower. I know it will make a difference, but it's just a little drop. And I know a lot of drops will make an ocean, but still. How are we going to address this? And who is going to address this? And maybe when we shouldn't ask for several products, or maybe we shouldn't ask for several services... It would make a difference too. But where do we start? I think there are two other dimensions to this. Huh? If you look at where work is and where people live and the way we have planned our society um, in combination with alternative modes of transportation, in many cases people don't have an alternative. They have to go to work because there is no public transportation to get them where they want to be or in any case it's too far away strikes me when I go down the motorway and I see some of these built-up areas with big um, storage facilities um, that there isn't much public transportation uh, in that area. So that's one. 
Um, is there an alternative? And, and the second one is about um, the behavioral change, where some things are easier to adjust and other things are much more difficult to, you know, develop a, a different behavior. What behaviors are you referring to? Uh, people have a hard time changing their behavior around this. What do you mean by that? What specific behaviors are you looking at? This is in the main people traveling uh, during rush hour from home to work and, and, and back in the evenings. So the behavior is uh, the, transport, the need to get from A to B to perform work uh, where following the corona period increasingly employers uh, encourage people to be in the office again. Yeah, and so what I heard also um, Helen say is about um, am I willing to give up the comfort on what difference do I make? So what do we understand under comfort actually? Well, that, again, there, there, there are different reasons why people move huh? because we talked about mobility from A to B. It could be because you bring children to work. It, it could be because you have to transport goods from A to B. It could be that people are indeed going to the to the office or to the factory or their work location. And um, if you talk about comfort in this case, well, that could, for example, be dropping off the kids at school in a car as opposed to doing that on a bicycle. That may be easier to change than if your work is 50 kilometers away and there is no alternative mode of transportation to get there. Yeah, so also the the thing, when I build on this, the thing about, um, um, so long ways from school to home, from work. So we know that there are these kind of designs for the city of the future where things are really close to each other. Um, but is it not something that we are starting to miss out on when we are only moving in a little circle? I think so. To me, if I look at, um, you were talking about addiction, but I also think it's it's not only the addiction from going to work, a lot of the work we do, we do out of, I would almost say stress, uh, out of survival mode, because we're very afraid that we don't have food tonight, tomorrow, or next week. And the inherent problem of this is that if you send out that message with your feelings all day, this is going to happen. And you can never do enough work. So uh, that's an interesting angle. So it's a kind of um, self-perpetuating uh, belief. So you believe that you don't have enough in order to buy your food, in order to pay uh, for the roof above your head, to feed the family, to maybe have a vacation, to have a nice car, whatever you feel like is necessary to survive. So it fuels this thing about, okay, I need to get to work, 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 and I have to work harder. If I do this, then this is going to happen. Not necessarily so. Now, a lot of people would find that hard to believe. Can you elaborate that a bit more? Well, only on personal level, really, is... Um, I did this for a very long time, also, in, uh, uh, when I was a system administrator. I had a normal job, 40, 50 hours a week, and next to it, I started repairing cars. It's a hobby of mine. But I did it so much because I wanted to earn more money and have a better life. In 
And of course, after a few years, I got really sick. There is this wall somewhere because I wasn't really sitting down and starting to listen. And that's when I thought, okay, is this the best way to get a living? And it started changing. Only asking this question already, it started changing. Something in me started changing. I felt something differently. And that opened a totally different door. And can you describe these different door that started to open it, however subtle it was? It felt differently. So I was finally getting at ease. Not Because even if I was, I was literally repairing cars in the snow. So I was really cold and just to get it done. And when I started realizing, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm getting totally exhausted and this cannot be a, a reason for living. And I'm not sure what really happened, but asking this question and seeing the crazy stuff I did started really something else. I started looking for something else. Did and you experience that other people came into your life, that probably. other situation came towards you, just simply because you started questioning what you were doing yes, routinely? Yes, starting uh, my curiosity came back to life itself. And that changed everything. And yes, it happened. I lost quite a few friends. I'm not in contact with anymore. But I gained so much inside myself. And the friends I have now are totally different. But the deeper connection, and it helped me even f uh, to get over other addictions. Like what? I was a huge smoker for 42 years. I, I really smoked a lot. And I was heavily addicted to it. Until I found so much connection that I could let it go. Interesting. So you, what's implied here is what you're saying for you, by coming more in connection with yourself, but with others, uh, that basically broke for you the, the need to fill the void with, for instance, smoking. Yes. And it's, it was also about hitting a wall. I mean, I was really getting bad. My, my body was really in a bad shape at several moments actually in my life. And that returned as soon as I started acting differently, asking different questions. So the asking and listening to the answer makes a huge difference. And I get nourished on a different level. And that's when I literally stopped because I lived in Doorwood and I went to work in the Den Haag every day. And I ended up living in and working in Doorwerd. So even the, the time I had to spend in traffic, and if you go from there to Den Haag, it was at least three hours a day in the car. Yeah, amazing. Yes. So uh, what is your experience with the deeper listening that Danny has been speaking about, when you do the real deeper listening to yourself? In a way, I feel privilege that we're having this conversation because for so many people uh, there is no alternative they are living from paycheck to paycheck particularly now with the very high energy prices, inflation, the cost of living 
and um, that's basically the, the time horizon they have is maybe a, a month forward and they don't have perhaps the luxury of making the sorts of adjustments that uh, Danny just shared so that is the first thought that occurs to me and in fact uh, I believe a large part of proportion uh, a large proportion of society lives that reality and they've bought a house got bills to pay need to make money to be able to sustain that way of living need a job the job is not close and 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 you can fill in the rest so what it sounds like what you're saying and so I'm I'm asking now a question is like um it's almost like you don't have any agency anymore is that really true for me it's not it's never because the moment you decide that you keep running in this circle you're going to die and i say it like this um, you're going to die inside so you're you're really checking into your soul or your mission is not done anymore because you can just keep running and keep repeating all those expectations you think are the only way to survive i think that's running in circles so i think we all have a choice even if it's 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 like it looks like impossible we all have a choice and i think the moment we we lost that we feel we do not have a choice anymore i think then we are in deep deep trouble as a society especially when you have a family it's so important that you keep keep doing what you have to do and i think you are a beautiful example Danny, of that sometimes you really have to make difficult decisions but when you don't you're also an example for your children that you you do what is expected from the government you do what is expected from your parents you do what is expected from whoever your boss and you want your children always to grow up um in true freedom at least in their own um autonomy how do you say that in their own authority i represent the voice of many people who think very differently and live very differently and Recently, I had a conversation with the CFO of a large Dutch company that has made a name for itself to be more advanced in their journey to become sustainable. And he related to me the tensions they had within the organization because part of the staff work in industrial plants and they work in shifts. And there was a conversation in the office about uh, during the corona period, are we going to work from home and how many days? And for certain periods, indeed, you didn't have a choice. And they didn't have a choice either because this plant had to operate, and so they, as a crew, had to turn up at the time they were put in the schedule. And um, so, given the way that is organized and that's structured and built, he clearly feels that, given his profession, he doesn't have much of an opportunity or of a choice. Mm-hmm. And if you look at people, who, I don't know. Let's say, for example. Um, um, Well, let's say, apart from, let's say, people who work in a shift in, in, in industry, there are many other walks of life, eh? many other jobs in society where this dynamic is at play and where I, I totally agree with your reflection that uh, the degree of numbing and um, unconscious living is then the consequence. 
But that is that is the reality that we are being faced with in in large parts of society. So how? So it's a way bigger problem than just the the individual. So we have to look at it from a bigger picture and start listening what has to change. And I think this is a really big one because when we want to change, it will be uncomfortable in a way because we have to maybe give up some of the things we find very normal or very nice or very beautiful or whatever. So when we really have to change and stop the growth we are in right now, that will take a lot from all of us. Yeah, and, and that connects, in fact, to the reflection on COP27, where many heads of state and other business leaders and lobby groups there, I say, who are very well represented, um, have long debate about either setting up a fund of 100 billion to help poor countries, which has been a conversation that's been ongoing for a number of uh, COPs now, and most likely this time they won't succeed either. Or they have a conversation around, indeed, the, the contribution every country makes to achieving the um, greenhouse gas reduction such that we can maintain the temperature growth to somewhere between one and a half and two degrees Celsius. Which we actually missed already, we can't, And um, according to scientists. The interesting thing is that, and I think that's connected to what we discussed earlier, that um, we're trying to get to uh, resolution at the wrong level, mm-hmm. because um, at the level that the conversation is, is taking place, it's it's almost like a, you know... A negotiation between parties with wildly different interests that try to find some common ground and that is so difficult because of the sheer number of stakeholders and the very different interests they have. I mean, also add the fact of time to it, huh, where certain countries have lived a very privileged and very comfortable life and other countries are about to get to that point and now are denied the opportunity because of the climate problem. Um That's interesting because that what you just said allows me to make a loop also back to what you were just saying before as well, which is you know if you are um, if you're struggling to basically meet ends meet, how do you say that? Make uh, ends meet. Uh, make ends meet. <laughs> um, then. What luxury do you have to say? I'm gonna go for a different job. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go for a different place to live. I'm gonna go for a different school, uh, because the necessity of just keeping what you have is just overwhelming. So, is that a call for us? Well, when I'm looking at four of the four of us uh, and people like us that have the luxury to make the choice. I mean, I'm not super well off, I'm not super rich, but I have enough wiggle room to make changes and not have to think about, oh my God, if I don't get a paycheck tomorrow, I won't be able to pay my rent the next day. I'm not in a situation like this. No, same is true for countries. Huh? I mean, there are certain countries like islands in the uh, Pacific whom um, will disappear underneath the ocean. Uh, they don't have a choice. And some countries uh, have... Uh, either in a mountainous area where, uh, I mean, they can tough it out for as long as they like. They don't have any need to change because they'll keep their feet dry. Uh, if, it, if you just talk about the sea level uh, uh, rise. Um, so I believe it'd be helpful in all of this to get to uh, where, where there is the natural common ground. And that's at a much deeper level. It is about living truthfully and it is not living mindlessly or living a reality where you do what you can get away with. 
and it is about the level um, where we consider uh, the human species and its survival longer term. I'd like to ask something. First of all, I'm really grateful for this conversation. What I didn't tell was at the end of, the, of my um, period with repairing cars and such, I got really sick. And in such a way that the doctor said maybe two to three months. That's serious. Yeah, it was really serious. Until I remembered my indigenous part. As soon as I allowed myself to relax in my indigenous part, and my nature connected, I started healing. And when you say indigenous part, your nature connected, what do you mean by that? I literally started living with native people because I was so sick I could hardly walk anymore. And within a week I could walk again and the healing really started. But the main thing was I allowed myself to get out of the mental state I was in. This was huge. I was so stuck in this and I need to fix it like this and need to fix it like that. And it didn't give room for other things to come in. I was so closed up for other ideas. And as soon as I started to open up, bigger things started to open up. Other solutions came up. And it just happened. I'm still surprised till that day how all these things just came together naturally. Yeah, and there's a lot of scientific evidence for what you just said. So if we are stressed and if we are scared then we start just thinking with very small parts of our brain, mostly the brainstem and the amygdala. We don't tap into this beautiful potential of the mammalian uh, brain and also especially not the neocortex, which is so good in finding solutions. And I guess this is the same thing that we find with people that are really under pressure. They have done these uh, these social studies where they have uh, given people have put people into a setting where they were poor and they had very little money and they were under pressure. And increasingly, as the experiment continued, people were making poorer and poorer choices. Whereas people, when they were put in a setting where they were coming from yeah, an abundance, quote-unquote abundance mindset, they had enough money and everything, they were just able to make so much better mis decisions, and particularly when it then came to how they would use the money and how they would invest it the money would grow based on their decisions. Whereas when you were in the setting of scarcity, that's when the money would shrink and disappear more and more. What usually happens is that we hit a wall. So we will be helped in, in one way or the other way. Like you were sharing, Danny, that you were really hitting a wall by you got so ill that it was dying or selling all your stuff and moving to the States. And there you find a new way of how to connect. And this is also what Dr. Gabor Mate is sharing always. He is saying, well, addiction is about losing your connection. So you, you're losing your connection with people, with yourself. And that's the reason why we start all kinds of addictions. It could be a lot of thinking, but it could also be alcohol, it could also be drugs, whatever. Any addiction. So... Bottom line, it's always about losing our connection. Yeah, and what 
I feel also to build on what you have said, it's like, you know, there are big players, there's the system change is needed. So what is it that we as a society, and I'm not talking just about, you know, the Dorn society or the, the Hague society or the Dutch society, I mean, we as a global society, what is it that we can do so that everybody feels safe? Because the base, the, the base of what I'm hearing here is about feeling safe, that you can let go of the fear that you will make it another day. Will or will I not make it another day? Will or will not make it another month, me and my family? When we can let go of that worry, I wonder what becomes possible. I think everything is possible then, in that moment. <coughs> But what it takes is leadership. Starting with inner leadership. So you start building trust inside yourself. The biggest thing in this and this is also the pathway of peace, it's about peace, then learning to know what is the truth, and then it's trust. And as soon as the trust is there, the movement starts. It's just going to happen. Your feet are going to carry you somewhere else. And what I think we need is community. As soon as we start working together in a community, and start really living together not only as neighbors, but really as a community, then you feel more carried by, by the community too. So when something is happening, the, com the community will back you up. And it, it, it was maybe one, one day or, um, that, that we built this system with the whole country. But it doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels more that it's more for yourself right now. And you see all kind of communi communities coming up in every, um, in every area of Holland right now. So I think community is one of the things really helpful to start trusting also and also to feel carried by a bigger whole. Because that's the one uh, which we really have to learn again. Yeah, and, and with that, I just had this feeling of like, connecting to a previous podcast that we recorded on media and news, so much of this is feeding on fear. So much of that is perpetrated by the sensation, oh, I see the, head, the first headline and it might be something, oh, I better read that because otherwise I miss something important that is needed for my survival and that might be as silly as uh, an important celebrity saying something. <laughs> that's the level sometimes. But that's it, you know. How can we get out of this uh, constant level of fear generation in order to get attention to something that is actually not essential? Yeah, to build on what Danny said, it resonates um, big time. Huh? So it is about inner leadership, it's about personal leadership, and which is then indeed the first, uh, first base, shall we say, the connection, huh? like Helen mentioned, with self. That's where it all starts. And indeed, some people have a, a thicker wall or need a thicker wall to get to that moment of, of insight or realization than others. But it's also about leadership in the broader sense and not just the personal leadership. Um, we have leadership that has become so accustomed to doing what people want as opposed to what's necessary. And that for me is the true definition of leadership, doing what's necessary. And that includes also 
painting a credible alternative perspective as opposed to the reality we currently live, which is basically getting from one crisis to the next. Yeah, and in this I see, you know, who are our leaders, right? Our leaders are just, you know, people like us. Um, and they, they are days where they are gripped by their fears and gripped by their scarcity mindset and they make poorer decisions and then maybe they have better days where they come from abundance and then they make maybe some where they are more relaxed, where they feel safe. So what is it that is really needed? What is it that we need to see in the world so that, yeah, we can have better leadership, better decision-making that considers the whole instead of just the, uh, the interest of one specific group that we are right now representing? Well, to me, um, is listening to the spirit inside. Because if you've got a question, you have the answer. There's the law of balance. So as soon as you have a question, the answer is also there. And isn't it amazing how little we trust ourselves that the answer is actually in us, right? And the beauty is we need each other to help to find our answer. Because that reflection, that listening, that quality of listening, and that quality of talking, so you can listen to yourself, is needed to see your own and feel your own truth. That's when the real truth comes. And as soon as you hit it, you feel it or know what is the answer. Yeah, and that links back to also what Helen said about community. Community is there to help you to listen. Yes. I think the indigenous tribes had a really beautiful way of doing this. Um, they were divided in clans, in, um, and every clan had like an animal. And every clan had his own chief. But the chiefs were chosen by the grandmothers. And the grandmothers were not only choosing the chief, but also two wisdom keepers, a woman and a man. So there were three people who were really in charge with leadership, but the chief was like the spokesman of the whole clan. And the grandmothers were listening to the chief. So when they were really representing their community, their clan, then it was all fine. But if they did not, they were telling them, you really have to listen, you really have to represent all of us. And it's not only the people, it's also nature. So it's all included. And I think this is really beautiful, how it was like divided in a way, or how it does work, working for the whole community. And the core of every, every clan were the values. So every animal has its own values we can learn as a human being. So they, they had a very close nature connection. And this nature connection uh, was also that they could see in the future what was going to happen. Because they were so closely listening and related to them that it was a kinship really beyond words. And I think we have to learn that again. We have to get back to our real connection not only with each other, I think that's the first step, but also with nature. And that's the interesting thing. If you look at society, the way we've structured it, uh, civilization, government is basically looked at to take care of the common interest. 
And if you look at the way government behaves in response to common interest, then the consistent perspective that I've heard over the last decades is the lack of vision, the lack of an attractive alternative. Mm-hmm. And, and what I observe in the dynamics around uh, the political domain is that those who are really deeply in their contraction and who live the more populist type reality, uh, which is all about ego and being re-elected and, and exerting power, without necessarily offering a credible, uh, tangible alternative, that those who might be in a position to bring that alternative get drawn into this you know, tug of war with uh, those who are in that contraction as a consequence, it basically drags down the whole level of conversation and ideation and creativity and inspiration. So what I would wish politicians uh, to get a little bit more of could be with the class through the chimney or underneath the Christmas tree this year is um, a truckload of inspiration and actually begin to develop in much clearer language the compelling alternative that does serve all as opposed to just the interests of the few and no longer be hijacked by the the dynamic with some of the more populist parties. And by the sounds of it, not only a truckload of inspiration, they actually need grandmothers. Uh, and so if I would translate this, uh, what Helen has said, they would need somebody, a truth teller, somebody who is afraid of them, who tells truth to power. But not only truth to power in a sense of like, you know, I tell you what I think is right or wrong. No, it's also the the reflection and the experience and the wisdom that comes from having seen more than just um, one perspective in life. So what we actually need is grandmothers, quote-unquote grandmothers. And grandfathers. <laughs> and grandfathers, right? Elders. Elders. elders yeah. Exactly. So that concept of eldership that has basically guaranteed um, the survival of humankind when you think of it, because humankind, as we since know, the mitochondrial Eve, 180,000 years ago, has gone through a couple of bottlenecks. And how did they manage it as well? They managed to do that in collaboration. And how did they foster the collaboration? Well, by developing a tribal structure that had elders doing their job of listening and reflecting in and also telling when some things didn't work despite the fact that they looked great. And then taking that back to the transportation reality that you started this conversation off with, one would argue that public transportation would be the logical alternative to full motorways. And the reality is that there isn't enough rolling stock that actually operates. There aren't enough people. The infrastructure isn't robust and predictable enough. Last weekend there was a power outage and lots of people were stranded. And, um, and there's no immediate plan to make fundamental change there. If anything, you see that bus lines are getting cut because the single line is no longer profitable. And so, therefore, they further reduce the, the pervasiveness of, of public transportation in society. And so, it doesn't really require grandmothers, grandfathers, and rocket science to understand that if you've got a growing population and, um, let's say, the hydrocarbon-fueled economy is uh, a 
misconception we really should move away from that that we need an alternative and so there's something they could have thought of uh, decades ago but it didn't really fly yeah and so question there is then um, is maybe the job of grandmothers or grandfathers to create precisely that space and say hang on a minute you're already running with this solution have you really considered everything around it yes I agree I think it's very important to sit down and we need the Council of Elders. Listen to the questions, listening to the real questions. Because the, the, the transportation isn't a problem. The underlying problem is that we're, there's a lot of fear. And what solution we need, we cannot even see yet until we empty up. And that's where the elders also come in place. We need the people who really own the question to come and sit with the elders so that we together can find solutions. And they're not the ones you come up in a linear way of thinking. They'll just pop up. All of a sudden, as soon as you're empty, the answer is there. And the second part in is the elders have the strength to follow through. Because it always takes what we call a leap of faith. As soon as you get the solution, even if you don't understand it, are you willing to start doing it? And then it will happen. But you have to be willing. And the elders, with so much trust and so much experience in life, can guide that. So that's very important. Um, so yeah, to, to then follow up on this, you know, who are these mystical elders well let's see who shows up <laughs> and what else <laughs> Just no, the, the point uh, I was uh, trying to make earlier huh? it's a bit of a chicken and an egg uh, had there been such a council perhaps you would have had different leaders who would have been more inspired and more visionary than the ones we currently have so yeah is it that we make do with the current leaders who stumble their way from one crisis to the next without really a long-term compelling perspective? And are we surrounding those with people who are going to inspire them with some wisdom and then hope we'll get things fixed? Or I like to share that Elvis is not about being of getting older. It's about really doing the work. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by doing the work is really doing your inner work to stay at your fire or to follow through whatever happens and to stay there so we we gained a lot of experience and we gained a lot of knowledge but what we didn't gain was the wisdom of it and that's a totally different step and when we talk about eldership it's always about the underlying values deepened so that we learn what's really going on and that we learn the life lessons of it so when we are stuck as a society, we have to look what we're really stuck at. And we can have like a, um, a traffic jam that's like a, a really nice <laughs> symbolic way of getting stuck as a society, but there's really more going on. So when we start listening on this level and then we take the life lessons and we gain the wisdom, then there's only one thing. The future will open up. We will get answers. And maybe not the answers we want always, or maybe not really nice ones, but the answers will come. That's the interesting that the Novatten, mm -hmm. the um, um, 
the elder from the Ojibwe tribe in mm -hmm. the, the United States in the Down to Earth uh, documentary uh, movie. The one who listens is exactly. the name. Exactly, yeah. The one who listens. He said, um, the solutions will come from the people, they won't come from government. True. And by extension, eh, if enough people do the inner work and stay with their fire and begin to elect their leaders eh, from that vantage point... It's going to happen. Exactly. So my translation, when I hear inner work, my translation of this is... Um, that I am really firmly owning my thoughts, my emotions, and my actions. I don't make anybody else responsible for it, but I really own it. And that in itself requires, you know, whatever you want to call it, maturity, adulthood, wisdom. And, um, and that gives me hope. <laughs> it gives me hope and trust. Because when we are just simply, you know, <laughs> turning to ourselves and start sorting our own shit instead of like you know looking outwards making somebody else responsible um saying you know you have to sort this for me so that i can be happy instead of it saying okay so what is it that i still need to resolve and own so that i can actually go and be happy yeah yes that's a beautiful step because it takes discipline to do this And then the next step is start listening to what really wants to happen. Then you start up the conversation, the communication with the bigger, the bigger whole or with your soul or with spirit. I'd like to add a little story to it. The Alpha and the Omega. In a wolf pack, there's an Alpha, the big leader, mostly back up by the lady behind him. That's really saying the things. But the Omega is the, the little one. But the conversation between the Alpha and the Omega is hugely important. Because the Omega knows all the stress in the whole system, in the whole group. And this is the same with us. There's this little voice inside ourselves that knows everything that's going on in the whole group, in the whole society, everything. And being able to be a good leader is be also being able to listen to that little voice inside ourselves. Because that's the one that's going to make the difference. That's the one who really sees everything and gets shown every stress level there is in the whole group. So it's really important to listen to that one. Yeah, and reflecting on that, um, we talked briefly about reference points. Eh? So it's about making uh, conscious choices. Do I step into the car if I bring my child to school or go and do some shopping nearby or could I also take the bicycle eh? for simple things like that where you have the physique that you can make the choice or do you have the options available? Introducing some new uh, yeah, selection criteria like eh, all my actions and, and decisions support all life. Um, so adding a number of those new, there I say, life rules eh, that you perhaps that, that we've lost uh, along the way may help us, sustain us in the discipline to gradually step by step start making um, those choices that are more commensurate with respecting all life because if you look at the the way we live now and i guess the consumption of fuel now is perhaps a proxy for overconsumption in the broader sense 
it's evident that the overconsumption is um, to the detriment of the environment now, which is causing a problem now, but is definitely going to cause a problem for future generations. So in a way, you know, with every action that is not compatible with some of those standards, you are making things more difficult for the next generations. So spanning a wide arc from traffic jams, fuel consumption, COMP or COP27, leadership, eldership, um, community. So if I might summarize what we have like come out to is two things I feel. One is, can we take ownership of our own thoughts, actions and emotions? Like, can we do the work on ourselves and really own that and learn from that, integrate it and maybe even become wiser of it instead of more knowledgeable? Taking that into leadership and perhaps not only the personal leadership, but can we ourselves become in a way that we start inspiring others to start embracing this way of life and also this way of leadership and will that maybe change something on the bigger picture in the system itself all right thank you very much for listening to the four of us uh, today it was a pleasure to be on air again with frank danny and helen And uh, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. There's more to come. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia, for who you are and guiding us through this whole talk. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Thank you very much. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>